Hello, and welcome to episode 17 of Tech Swamp. We have our hosts and friendly membership team here today. Hey, Brad. Hello. Caitlin, what up? You know, just membership chilling. Membership chilling. And of course, this is Alex. Today, we're sitting down with founder of ACT, Mike Sachs, as well as our policy counsel, Joel Thayer, for an Apple v. Pepper debrief. We're talking about the Supreme Court ruling in Pepper's favor, what that means for app developers, and more. But first, we're going to hit tech history and run through some DC headlines. May 28, 1987, 32 years ago this month, gifts were born. Uh, the original gifts were only in basic solid colors and mostly black and white. It was one of the most popular formats of the early internet until the GIF licensing controversy. That sounds big. The intellectual property dispute over gifts led to PNG format. So by the early 2000s, all relevant patents had expired and the GIF format can be freely used again today. Before we sign off, I want to know, membership, what are your favorite reaction GIFs? Caitlin? I'm going to go with the white blinking guy. Mm -hmm. That's literally what you type into the GIF search, white blinking guy, and, and it he comes, comes up. up. And he, he looks shocked, confused, slightly <laughs> triggered. In a lot of ways. Yes. For a lot of things. Right. Yes, I use it nearly daily. Yeah, love it. Brad? And I am a fan of the cult classic film, The Big Lebowski, mm -hmm. so I'm going to go with Jeff Bridges saying, well, that's just like your opinion, man. Also can be used in a lot of ways for a lot of reasons very, at a lot of times. Very, very versatile. Mine um, is one of a little girl who's in some sort of karaoke situation and she's holding <laughs> a microphone and there are lights blinking in the background and she is sort of like turning around to do like a Beyonce hair situation, uh, but she just looks like a spaz and I feel like, um, and she's a very cute little tiny little nugget. Um, that's my favorite. And that's all for Tech History. Sound means it's time for What's Growing in D.C. Caitlin and Brad, what are some of the top tech headlines? So earlier this month, U.S. District Judge Lucy Coe sided with the Federal Trade Commission in the FTC's antitrust case against Qualcomm regarding its smartphone licensing practices. This ruling is a huge win for innovation, consumers, and the 5G ambitions of the United States, but most importantly is a rebuke of Qualcomm's anti-competitive and discriminatory licensing practices. For more on this ruling, head over to our show notes. In Hill Happenings, the Senate reintroduced the Developing, Innovation, and Growing the Internet of Things Act, otherwise known as the Digit Act. This legislation aims to bring together the public and private sectors to create recommendations to grow the Internet of Things economy. Passage and implementation would be great for our over 5,000 small to medium-sized member companies who are driving innovation in the IoT sector. We'll be sure to keep you updated on the journey this bill takes through Congress. And in more Hill happenings, the House and Senate introduced the Copyright Alternative and Small Claims Enforcement Act of 2019, otherwise thankfully known as the much shorter <laughs> Case Act. This legislation aims to provide clarity to small businesses who are navigating or attempting to navigate the complicated and confusing process that is registering work and IP with the U.S. Copyright Office. As we've said before, IP is the lifeblood and backbone of our members' innovations, and protecting that intellectual property by registering works with the U.S. Copyright Office could be the difference between sink or swim when it comes to the livelihood of our members and their innovations. We'll be sure to keep you posted on the Case Act in future episodes of TechSwamp. One more thing in Hill Happenings. Facial recognition is turning heads, or should I say faces, on the House <laughs> Oversight Committee. Last week, during part one of the committee's hearings on facial recognition, Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez stated her concern about the, quote, widespread use 
of facial t recognition technology, saying, I don't want to see an authoritarian surveillance state, whether it's run by a government or whether it's run by five corporations. Traditionally liberal AOC gained an unlikely ally during the hearing. Conservative congressman and chair of the right-wing House Freedom Caucus, Mark Meadows. Congressman Meadows said, figuring out how to handle widespread facial recognition in the U.S. hit the sweet spot that brings progressives and conservatives together. Aww. <laughs> That's nice. Nice moment there. That's nice. Um, the Department of Veterans Affairs is teaming up with Microsoft in an effort to close the digital divide in rural communities. Microsoft will supply training and funds so that veterans can unlock new economic opportunities and enhance their quality of life. The Trump administration, as well as the FCC, considers rural broadband deployment a national priority, although last week President Trump signaled that he is willing to hold up the process until Congress stops investigating him for obstruction of justice. Before we sign off what's brewing, we're going to hit you with some 2020 election updates. The first debates begin next month, a two-night event on June 26th and 27th. With a field of 24 candidates, there will definitely be some competition before the debates even start. Candidates can qualify by receiving donations from at least 65,000 individual donors with 200 unique donors per state in at least 20 states or need to score at least 1% in three polls that the Democratic National Committee approves of. Currently, a total of 19 candidates have qualified, leaving a spot for only one more presidential hopeful available. Right now, the candidates polling the highest are former Vice President Joe Biden, Senators Sanders, Warren, Harris, and Mayor Pete Buttigieg. And that's all for What's Brewing. Today we're sitting down with our policy council, Joel Thayer, for a rundown on the recent SCOTUS ruling for the case Apple v. Pepper. Hey Joel, thanks for joining us. Oh, thank you. Thanks for having me. Thanks for coming back. It's been a minute since we've had you in the uh, in the Tech Swamp HQ. That's yeah. true. Yeah. Welcome back. Yeah, welcome back. Prodigal Swamp thing. Prodigal Swamp thing. That's great. So we've talked about Apple, Apple v. Pepper in the past, um, but uh, just so our listeners can sort of get a refresh, can you give us um, sort of the overview on what Apple v. Pepper is and why we care about it? Sure. Uh, Apple v. Pepper is uh, generally a procedural case that just determines who can sue whom in an antitrust case. And originally, uh, this case was brought by a few, uh, I guess, consumers that felt that the price of an app was a little too high for them. And so what they ultimately challenged was, at the heart of it, our relationship with them, and by extension, developers' relationship with platforms. So we felt that it was important to get in on the early stages, including the uh, petition for search stage, which is the part of the stage where the court is deciding whether to take the case, to have the court decide uh, who can actually bring a causable action in the, in the cases like this. So it was mainly to ma uh, maintain the integrity of our relationship with both our consumers and also with platforms. And how did the ruling end up? Not great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, in, 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 many, in many ways, the court seemed to completely disregard the overall structure of the app economy. Uh, they... Interestingly, 
Justice Kavanaugh seemed to agree more with the liberal justices on who can sue whom and sided with the consumers, which is ostensibly not necessarily a bad thing, but when you break down the, the reasoning behind uh, why consumers can ultimately sue platforms, you actually cut developers completely out of the conversation. And this is about our contract and our relationship with platforms as well as our relationship with consumers. So you're basically having a, you're basically talking about developers without talking to developers. And that is one of the critical aspects of this case that has been completely missed. So looking back at oral arguments, um, which were a while ago, um, what were some of the key takeaways from that? Well, the liberal justice fell where we thought they would. I mean, it was very consumer focused and ensuring that consumers had uh, a place at the table. Uh, but what was very interesting was that Justice Kavanaugh, in his line of questioning, seemed to understand the relationship between where the developer sits in this paradigm. So the fact that he came out the other way and quite honestly, blatantly disregarded the relationship that exists between the developer-consumer and developer-platform is baffling. Um, and we have, uh, we actually did like a deep dive, a TechSwamp deep dive on oral arguments. Yes, episode 11 of TechSwamp. So where did the justices fall on this ruling? You said Kavanaugh sided with the liberal judges, which was surprising. Yeah, he did. Uh, and almost... He was very careful in his approach. It seems like this was a lot of negotiation that happened between uh, arguably one of the more conservative justices on the court, uh, having a meeting of the minds with some of the liberal justices, in that it's clear that he was trying to take more of a textualist approach to uh, his reading of Apple v. Pepper, and particularly trying to do away with some of the, I guess, quote, from his perspective, ambiguity in Illinois Brick which just says that direct sellers can sue uh, monopoly, alleged monopolists directly. And to, looking at the Clayton Act specifically, or the Section 4 of the Clayton Act more specifically, that says any person can sue. So it seems that he was, he was really focused on the text of the statute, but wanted to uh, ensure that liberal justice felt comfortable with that approach and tried to make this really weird roundabout uh, analytical framework that included Illinois Brick so as to not directly offend the precedent. And so that's one side of the dais. The other side of the dais would be the conservative uh, justices. And namely, uh, the, the Justice Gorsuch wrote the, uh, I guess, overarching dissent where he expressed that, look, the developers have a say in this. I, I, we don't know why you decided to cut them out, but now you've essentially made them necessary parties in any uh, antitrust action, which ironically ends up at the result that you didn't want, which is a lot of people, in a, well, a lot what the court did want in Illinois Brick was a lot of people suing for the same cause of action. So now not only do you have to worry about consumer concerns, which may or may not be directly harmed, by the interactions that happen strictly between platforms and developers, but now you have to take in developers uh, who are just going to be along for the ride. So it's a very peculiar case. We have to see how this plays out in the long run, and unfortunately, 
uh, this case doesn't just apply to the platform economy, it applies across the board because if you look at the opinion, it doesn't say platform once, or uh, at least in the, uh, the majority opinion, and it definitely doesn't reference developers. So, well, they call, well, Justice Kavanaugh does mention developers, but he refers to them more as resellers or manufacturers to uh, the platforms, which means that this is going to cover a wide swath of every economic vertical that has a relationship with resellers and, and consumers. So it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. And so what this ruling means from what we are understanding is that now consumers have the ability to sue platforms? They do. So this, uh, the next, sta- next stage of the case is it'll go down to the Ninth Circuit and the Ninth Circuit will give a general blessing of what the Supreme Court said and then the Ninth Circuit will kick it back down to the District Court so we could hear the case on the merits. Because remember, this case is procedural. It is, has nothing to do with the merits. So the question is as to whether or not uh, Pepper's articulation of whether or not um, Apple's a monopoly is irrelevant at this stage. We are, that is for a judge to decide. So the judges didn't even consider that really in the Supreme Court. So we have to sit and wait and see the merits of the claim and whether or not there's any validity or whether or not uh, Pepper's case holds any water. Um, so Joel, before we let you go, for our listeners, what are like the key takeaways? What are the things to remember about all this? So first, uh, we've seen a paradigm shift in just the way antitrust standing works and operates. Now, now the direct seller rule is basically under contention. So consumers can now sue directly, even if they aren't basically the uh, direct purchaser of the services of the platform. So that's interesting. The second thing that we should, uh, that I would really like our listeners to know is where does the developer sit, and how will that operate, and do they have a say? And are they an essential party to uh, any proceedings going forward? Those two things are the main takeaways as I see them. This has been great. Thank you so much for joining us, Joel. No problem. Up next, it's Member Minutes with Caitlin, Brad, and our founder, Mike Sachs. And today for Member Minutes, we are joined by founder of ACT, the App Association, Mike Sachs, to discuss uh, the recent Supreme Court ruling uh, Apple v. Pepper. Mike, thank you so much for joining us. Hi, Caitlin. It's great to be back. It's always great to have you. So uh, just starting off here, I think we'd we'd just like a, a real general sense of what your reaction is to the ruling in Apple v. Pepper. Well, it's very unpleasant to be in a situation where everybody is talking about us and nobody's really listening to us. And, and we have, uh, you know, this, this whole case is about the app store and about app makers, but nobody really values the relationship that we have with our customers. The Supreme Court is basically saying, hey, you are just a supplier. These are Apple's customers, they're not our customers. And we have users, we have an intimate relationship with them. When they have a problem, they talk to us. We really feel like these people are our, our customers and we're very unhappy. I think I can speak on behalf of almost all app makers that the Supreme Court has decided that we have no business in the app store having customers, that these people are actually 
all Apple's direct customers. That's not how the real world works. And the, the Supreme Court doesn't seem to value that. So that's very frustrating. Absolutely. And as a kind of better understanding kind of backstory, traditionally, how does that relationship work as an app maker when you are putting your app in the app store? Mm -hmm. Well, there, there are a lot of different apps in the app store. And it's true that for some, some apps, you know, they get published and they are little gadgets or they're little games and they get used a few times and, and that's the end of the story. But a lot of app makers have customers that are really important to them and that have a relationship with the company that they're using, whether it's, you know, a movie app or it's a meditation app or something where, where people are buying things through your app. You really care about those customers and they are your customers. They're not Apple's customers. And so just because they buy from the app store doesn't mean that the app store should be the only point of contact. And so we've, we really feel that those people are our people that we do business with. And the Supreme Court disagrees with that. Just like any small business, you have a relationship with your customers and it's, it's not Apple's relationship, it's the developer's relationship, which kind of brings me to my next question, which is what is the effect on app makers broadly? You know, that remains to be seen uh, because obviously this is a Supreme Court decision. Uh, it it's, was motivated by people, trial lawyers who want to sue uh, in class action suits. And so, you know, these people really do not care about apps or app makers or app users even, I would say. What they care about is making a whole bunch of money, filing a big lawsuit to a big target like Apple. Mm -hmm. And we are kind of caught in the middle of that. So that case will continue and we'll see uh, how that evolves. But what I'm mostly concerned about is the fact that the Supreme Court has decided that we are only suppliers. And so how will that affect our ability to have a, a relationship with our customers? Um, App makers are so innovative, not just in the apps that we build, but also in the way we interact with our customers and our business models, our pricing models. If you look at the app store, you know, it just started out with free and paid apps. And then many more app options were added by Apple in response to the, the requests of developers. And in response to the way Apple saw that users and app makers were together kind of finding new ways for apps to evolve and, and be priced and be sold. And so I hope that that kind of animation, innovation doesn't get lost or start uh, breaking down because of this case. But we'll have to see how that evolves in the, in the long term. What about limits on pricing? Right, so being able to set our own price and decide how our apps are being sold is really important to us as app makers. Um, if there are courts that are going to decide what prices should look like, um, that's not very good for us. We, we think that we should be able to choose what the best price is based on what people are willing to pay, the value that our app provides, and all uh, those normal things that you consider when you're determining a price. We don't want pricing to be regulated at all because we build the, those apps and we think that we can best decide what the right 
price for the value is that we provide. Absolutely. So before we let you go, Mike, what what is something about this ruling in Pepper's favor that you want to leave listeners with? What do you think is like the top line thing to take away from this ruling? I think it's important for us to speak up as developers and to tell our stories and to show people that our customers are really important to us and that we're all small businesses or most of us are small businesses. And when you're a small business, your intimate relationship with your customer is the most important thing to your business. It's the biggest advantage that you have as a small business over a big nameless company. And so for a Supreme Court decision to basically say that, no, these people are not your customers is really offensive to us, quite frankly. And it's a threat to our ability to continue to exist and thrive as small businesses. So I hope we will continue to tell our stories, make sure that everybody understands this, and hopefully it'll trickle up to the highest court of the land at some point. Absolutely. Well, Mike, thank you so much for joining us again on Tech Swamp. Um, we are going to kick it over now to Alex for Random Identifier. Now it's time for our random identifiers. Brad, you're up first. What do you have for us? Of course. So I'm going to keep with the music theme a little bit from uh, our last podcast. (laughs) And coincidentally, I am going to a show tonight. So I am going to have Rolling Blackouts Coastal Fever. That's one band. Rolling Blackouts Coastal Fever. That's right. RBCF. Do they go by RBCF? They usually go by Rolling Blackouts CF. Okay. So they abbreviate half of the name. Okay. Okay. That is interesting. What what are what's in store for you tonight? Well, they're like kind of an upbeat indie rock band. Not too much uh, electronic or synth. It's mostly guitars, which is right up my alley, as you guys know. And now our listeners know too. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's cool. And you're seeing it at U Street Music Hall. That I am. A venue I have not been to yet. It's oh, a great oh, venue in Washington, D.C. Yeah. So if anyone ever comes to D.C., check out U Street Music Hall. Uh, there's great shows there all the time. And good food around. And yes. fun. Can't wait. Looking forward to it. Well, great. Uh, Caitlin, what, what about you? What do you have for us? So today, first of all, this random identifier starts with a shout out to yes. Chelsea's lovely mother, Barb who came to visit us um, recently. Barb membership chilled. Yes. Barb, I know you're listening. (laughs) You membership chilled and we loved it. And you also gave me my random identifier for this episode of Tech Swamp. So thank you. Um, This is a weird one for sure. Uh, There's a children's show called Octonauts Mm -hmm. that I am aware of um, as a 27-year-old adult woman. (laughs) And it, it... it's a really, like, cute kid show, really catchy. There's a this team of, of sea animals that live in a submarine in the ocean. Um, they also live with a small group of beets. Uh, beets. Like, the vegetable. Okay. But the beets, they can't talk. They can only squeak. It's so cute. Okay. Um, but the octonauts rescue sea animals, and they sing songs about it. They also do this thing called Creature Report. <gasps> where they talk about a creature underwater um, and give you different uh, facts about That's the animals. so fun. It's really fun, and I played it for Luca. Chelsea's amazing, hilarious, awesome daughter, who is 
what, two and a half, three years old almost? Uh, yeah, almost three. And um, so we were playing it in the membership office when Luca was here and when Barb was here. And I I knew more words than I should have uh, to the song, uh, to the Creature Report song. But our favorite as an office, our fact um, from the Octonaut song is, an octopus can change its skin. I don't know if anyone here, any listeners here, were aware of that. But... They can. They can change their skin. So. I won't sing it, but... You can. No, I won't. <laughs> <laughs> However, I would uh, highly recommend that people go check out the octopus um, segment. It'll be in our show notes. Um, it'll be in our show notes because it's really important mm-hmm. and wonderful, and you'll get it stuck in your head. Sorry, everyone. Um, <clears throat> well, I want to talk about sort of an animal, but not really... Because I'm going to talk about the Mighty Ducks, specifically um, the three Mighty Duck movies, which I watched over the long weekend. It was just Memorial Weekend, Memorial Day weekend, and I watched all three Mighty Duck movies. That's the Mighty Ducks, D2, and D3. Um, And there's some things I want to say. First of all, these are wonderful movies. I recognize that there are some people in this office, not currently, but sort of at the ACT offices, who perhaps don't love movies, primarily sports movies, that are about the triumph of the human spirit. I disagree, fundamentally. I love them. Uh, This movie has all of those things. It has great kids. It has sports. It has inspiring speeches. It has uh, music, uh, fun montages. Did I say quack? I was going to say, you know, at the end, when they win, you want to cheer, but you don't. I didn't cheer. I quacked. Yes. Like a good fan. Yeah. Yeah. Quack. 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 That's a new membership chant. <laughs> yes. I have to be honest. I have never seen any of those films. You should absolutely Easily. change that, like, ASAP. Immediately. They're great. Emilio Estevez? Yeah. You'll love that. You'll love that. Yeah. I bet I would. Yeah. Just uh, have never gotten to it. Oh, so great. It, that's also the origins of Joshua Jackson, I believe. Oh. So he's in the first and then the rest. The origins. And the, yeah, the origins, because it's before Dawson's Creek, which is what everybody knows him from. Uh-huh. But no, no. No. Charlie. He was a duck. Okay, guys, that's it for Tech Swamp. If you heard anything on here that piqued your interest, head over to our website and make your way to the podcast section. We'll have notes on today's episode that include links to all the good stuff. And, of course, we want to give a shout-out to Brad Goodall, who composed the podcast Awesome Music. Thank you, Brad. Also, I just have to say that we're pretty excited to see Brad play with his band Ona this Saturday in D.C. And because uh, we're fans, we're going to link Eventbrite for yeah. tickets in the we're show gonna notes. We're going to bring membership chillin' mm-hmm. outside of the membership outside. office. And uh, if you're in D.C. this Saturday, you need something to do. Yeah. Head over to our show notes to buy tickets for yeah. the show. We'll see you there. <laughs> Don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Spotify, and Stitcher. And, of course, we would love a rate and review. Five stars only, please. (laughs) That's all for today, folks. Everyone say bye. Goodbye. Bye.